While I generally understand and greatly appreciate the value of development and fundraising, process can seem like a bit of a black box. Our development team goes out to talk to people, money magically appears, and we're able to carry out our mission and keep our staff paid. What are some important things that all nonprofit staff should know about the people and processes behind development and fundraising? I think any development professionals listening to this are so giddy that this question was asked. They just hugged their phone. They did. They are (laughs) so incredibly excited because they desperately want people to understand them and what they do. Because let's be honest, how many times do development and fundraising staff, they're like the the people everyone's jealous of because they get to go out all the time and go schmooze. And yeah, they're like, oh, (laughs) they get to do all the fancy stuff, right? Or it's like they're like, you know, there's the perception they don't do any work. Well, no, let me tell you, that's not at all the case. But a few things I would take away, like that I would keep in mind when working with the development staff, um, number one, it is a team sport. I would argue more so than any other department or functional area of an organization. And here's why I say this. Think about it. So you're a fundraising professional. If you're not in the loop about what's going on in the organization, what exactly do you have to talk about or share when you're out in the community? Or what if there's programs that aren't being measured or you have no stories or impact to share about those programs or the program just sucks and is totally ineffective, right? That impacts your ability to bring money in because how are you going to sell people on, you know, something that's just a broad mission statement? Finance, we know that if finance and the financial house isn't in order, no donor is going to give another repeat gift. So that makes it complicated or if they feel like their money's not stewarded properly. And the list goes on. A board that refuses to fundraise and won't help open doors for you. I mean, the list goes on. So I truly wish every nonprofit, it was almost like the intro for a new employee that they should be told that they are also playing a role in development, right? And in first impressions. I have heard donors talk about calling organizations before where you have a you know, volunteer that maybe is having an off day or you have a staff member who can't stand working at this organization and answers the phone that way and the donor's completely turned off or the donor goes to the website to try to find a phone number or person to call and they can't find that because the website's really poorly designed. So I I just think of all of those tools that are needed to make someone successful in this position. And so being cognizant of that and how you can help be a part of the solution by doing, you know, rock star work in your area, I think is one one thing to keep in mind. Um, you were in, you know, finance, Andy. What what do you think from this perspective? Like, were development people the ones that you were like, oh my god, they're a big pain in my butt, and they, all they want is like to spend money to hopefully make money? Like, I'm curious. <laughs> no, and I, I mean, and I I didn't I, I haven't been in the finance role only for. I mean, that's just where I ended up. I. I did a lot of other things before that. So I think I came to it with more of an appreciation of what the development people do. A lot of my, a lot of the work that I do now with nonprofits, when I work with nonprofits is helping sort of smooth the relationship between finance and development and getting, because the sort of default mode, and for this is for lots of organizations, the default mode for the finance team is just to like pretend the development team is not there, (laughs) especially. So there's this, there's this interface between development and finance when it comes to donations coming in. Like the donations have to be entered in the customer relationship management system. So like something like Razor's Edge or Donor Perfect or wherever the wherever that's going. 
probably shouldn't say a bunch of product names because they're not <laughs> they are not, not sponsors. sponsors. Um, <laughs> the um, so they'll put the information in there, but then that information needs to be in the finance system as well. So if somebody's giving you fifty dollars. The, the development team wants to know that the $50 came in. The finance team needs to know the $50 came in as well. But the things that they need to track about that are very different. Like the, the, the sort of common challenge that you see over and over is something called a, uh, a soft credit, which was a concept of like, if, if I give an organization $50, my, my wife is basically also giving $50 because we're a family. So we're, it didn't necessarily, I may have, my name may have been on the check, but she may have been the person that actually said, can you write them a check for $50? In reality, our, our life works the opposite way around, right? (laughs) I don't actually write the checks. So the, but so when the donor, when the fundraising person talks to us, they need to know that both of us are responsible for that gift. Well, the finance team is like, well, it's only $50. Like, why are you crediting it to two different people? It's not $100. It's $50 split between two people. So is it $25 a person? Like, how are we? I don't understand because it's math. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and, so, yeah. and so you get into this sort of battle between what their requirements are and what finance's requirements are. And a lot of times finance just shuts them off and just goes, forget it. Just send me an export. We'll deal with it. I don't even want to look at your system. I don't care what it is. It's probably a mess. I don't want to look at it. Right. And it's absolutely the wrong attitude to have about it. You need to, those two organizations need to be, or those pieces of the business need to be directly connected and working together. And like on, cause that's where the money, like to your point, it's where the money comes from. Oh, yes. That's where this, like to the questions point, that's why we get paid is because right. these people are good at their job. And so why, why we would not go out of our way to support them yes. and make sure that they're happy and comfortable and have all the tools they need to be able to do their job. That should be like the first thing in the back of your it, mind is like, it? Yeah. I'm going to be like, so one of my, one of my, I learned this the hard way very early on in my career is always be nice to the executive director's assistant. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if you work someplace, no <laughs> right. I took, I didn't, I didn't know it at first. It took me and I learned it the hard way, but if the executive director has an assistant, that person, it doesn't matter who they are, how they behave, what like crazy perks they give themselves by virtue of them being the executive assistant to the executive director or whatever. Like that person is, should be your best friend full stop, right? (laughs) You should treat, so you should treat your development team the same way you treat the ED's executive assistant. (laughs) I love that. I love that rule of thumb. Um, And you know, the other thing I was thinking here is it's it's the one position that's also, you know, it's also the b- blend of art and science, right? Because there is some just intuitive and level of emotional intelligence and sound judgment that development people need to have and need to know really quickly, okay, this conversation just took a turn I didn't expect. And I need to be able to go that direction, right? So so you've got that and then bordering on the same same token of like, there is a science to this, right? There is, a, you know, a donor database, a CRM, and that needs to be entered properly because God help us if, you know, we put someone's name in there that, you know, actually died last year and, and their loved ones always getting reminded that they're, you know, this person died or whatever. Like, you know, there's a process and, and you know, how soon thank yous get turned around and is it just this kind of unfriendly tax receipt letter and just kind of the planning, the process, the measurement of what fundraising success looks like is the science part of it. So I'm a big believer, like this is, this is sort of that magical unicorn person who 
can balance both of those roles. Mm-hmm. And I think most people think of them more in just the art part of it. Oh, it's it's the art. And in some sad way, I think our society actually diminishes that and sometimes thinks, oh, those are soft skills. Like those aren't, you know, the the analytics or the the data cruncher in finance or the the you know program impact measurement. But but you need both for that position to do really well. So thinking about whatever role you are in your organization, I think, and asking that person or like, you know, just sort of helping them reach their goals, like you said, Andy is going to be huge. And the other thing I just really what what sort of screamed out to me with this question is ask the person, ask your development staff in your organization what you need to know about their job and what you can do to help support them. Like that was the intention of this question. And I'm glad that we're answering it, but I think any development person would welcome it. And I actually think development people, to your point, Andy, about sort of providing that bridge between both worlds of finance and development, I think development people also want to understand finance. I mean, I have worked with a lot of development professionals who just say, I just don't understand their way of thinking and I don't know how to get them to agree to my, you know, proposed idea or whatever and i it's like this anomaly between the two worlds mm-hmm. and and not to just focus on development and um you know finance but those where the most two. friction is there's yeah. a lot of friction between those two or pieces of the organization i mean i think and and here's like sort of a a pro career tip too so if you're in an organization and you want to be in leadership one day if you're doing program stuff, if you're doing IT, if you're doing finance, if you're doing anything and you think that maybe one day I think it would be fun to lead an organization, like the one thing that the the board that hires EDs is going to want to know is, are you able to fundraise? Absolutely. Can you fundraise? And most most fundraisers, at least most good fundraisers that that I've ever worked with, are delighted to tell you about what their process is and how they do their job. And you know, go to lunch with them and talk to them about like what it is that they what it is that they're most worried about and how how you can help them and learn about all of the things that they do. Because then you're going to learn you're going to learn the language, you're going to learn the vocabulary. If you if you do get put in a position in an organization like a tiny organization where you have to do multiple jobs and one of them is fundraising, then you're going to actually know how to do that without having necessarily been specifically in a, a fundraising role before. Um, and and you're right, it's that. It's that really like the really good fundraisers are the ones that are good at balancing, my opinion, good at balancing the art and the science, the the psychology of being able to deal with the donor and come to the ter- come to where the donor is and what the donor wants to give at the same time, knowing like what the like being able to read those signs of like, when do I back off? Like what information does this person need? What information does this person not need? Who should I spend more time with that I haven't spent more time with? Um, how, are, how am I going to get to my goals at the end of the year? Like all of those things, it's just sort of this big equation that they're working on all the time. And the really good fundraisers, it's sort of intuitive. They just kind of know how to do it. But there's there's a process behind it. It's not just magic. I mean, you, I think the question said the money magically yes. appears. There's very little magic okay. about it. It's more of a it's more of a process yes. and and a an understanding of of how to get that job done. Anyone who has ever gone through a direct mail campaign will appreciate this. And I I only I, I know enough to be dangerous with this. But you, when you get into the science of direct mail. Everything from, you know, what size font you use, Mm -hmm. what type of font you use, how long 
the page needs to be, what needs to be bolded, right? How, what, is it indented or not? Is there, is this two pages, one? I mean, the list goes on and there is, you know, there is studies and research that shows certain things are more appealing to people. So really being sensitive to the fact that, yeah, your your development team is juggling all of that and more, something that feels like it should take, you know, 30 minutes, because that's the other thing that happens in organizations it took you that long to like craft, you know, a direct marketing piece that's going to go out. Yeah. Cause there's a whole lot of moving. Do we have the right mailing list? Do we have the right, you know, how, how are we segmenting messaging? Like, I mean, it, the lists go on. So um, I love that question and I love being sensitive to that perspective, you know, in all perspectives in an organization. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm so happy, Stacy. Listen to this. Doesn't this sound great? I know. We are giddy, like, with excitement here. <laughs> it's been, like, so we've had so many episodes in a row that were, like, terrible Zoom calls. It sounded like we were recording from through, like, a, a giant paper towel tube um, into an old transistor radio. But this actually sounds great because we're finally, like, actually in a, a proper studio space. So we need to give a shout out to MV Energy. MV Energy has actually allowed us to use one of their studio spaces. Yay. Thank you, MV Energy. Thank you, MV Energy. Round so of th- applause. Yeah, so that we can actually sound pretty good. So the Nonprofit Everything podcast, for those of you that may be new, it's a production of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. It's uh, the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits is the state association for nonprofits in Nevada. They make this possible. And the way it works is you send us questions. You can email them to us. You can send them on Facebook. You can send them on Twitter. We've actually got a phone number now that Stacy set up for us. <laughs> you can actually call us on the phone and leave a voicemail message. So we talk about this mysterious phone number, but then actually never tell anybody what it is. That's completely useless. So you can find it on the Nonprofit Everything webpage, or you can get a pen. It is 702-900-4656. That's 702-900-4656. So you can call us and you ask us questions and Stacy and I do our best to answer them. And if we can't, we bring in a guest expert. Um, and that's how it works. And with that, away we go. Stacey, what is the best practice for condolences for a donor who just lost his wife? This is such an interesting question. So, okay, first I'll answer this question, but then I want to go into a larger sort of media piece that came out recently related to something about this. So, um, you know, first thing first, I would say really depends on your relationship with the donor. And I do think size of the donor does make a difference here. Um, You know, I think at a minimum, if you are aware of, you know, a donor who who's lost his wife, I think a handwritten sympathy card is absolutely like the bare bones kind of basic gesture that that should be done. Um, just from a donor, just the way you would want to treat other human beings, right? Mm-hmm. How you would treat anyone that that lost a loved one. Um, I think you need to really give thought, you know, give some consideration to how close are you to the donor? You know, is it something that you want to show up at the funeral or service if it's public and open? I have really heard some yucky, nasty stuff around this where, 
Um, you'll hear people who maybe don't have a close relationship with the donor, but think, oh, there's going to be a lot of wealthy people in the room at the funeral. So it's a great place to like go almost like it feels predatory. And that sort of bothers me, to be so honest. Like looking for a date at a yeah, wedding? Like philosophically, <laughs> that just feels a little wrong, although I'm sure people would push back on that. Um, but anyway, so like, so thinking about that level of, of closeness to the donor and whether that was appropriate or not, um, you know, you can always do, of course, a bouquet from your organization like you would do, or even better, I think if the donor mentioned another organization that was being supported or donations could be made in, in his wife's honor, I think that's, you know, a, a great, a great, um, area. But I, you know, this kind of goes back to just how deep is that relationship? Because I know I would feel weird as a donor if I hard only like occasionally gave to an organization. I would not expect anything, to be honest with you. Like, I, I, I mean, if I got a sympathy card or something, I, I would be touched and I wouldn't be offended. I wouldn't expect it. Um, now, if I was a larger donor, I would hope that either someone in my world had let them know or like I had a deep relationship. Maybe I let them know. I would hope then they might go an extra step. Um, it doesn't have to be costly. I think it's just showing the thought and like acknowledging we're so sorry. This is a really tough time and truly just leaving it at that, not hands out or anything, Um you know, maybe there's if it's a larger donor, I saw um, one of the organizations I work with recently had found out they were getting these donations that they didn't expect online. And it was all saying in tribute of a certain person. And they ended up doing a little bit of research and found the connection to their mission with this person who had passed away, who they never knew when this person was alive. But they actually ended up getting in touch with one of the family members who donated, found out the story and said, can we actually dedicate our next newsletter to, you know, to this person um, that was important to you and maybe even do a little article on them. And they were, the family was so touched. So, I mean, from a, a stewardship standpoint, that's amazing. Um, so there's so many creative ideas, but I do think it depends on, yeah, longevity of the donor and depth of that relationship. Yeah. And and don't stick a pledge card in the sympathy. Oh, note. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, and so you, you mentioned that there was a, a recent news article. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about the recent news article because that puts an interesting spin on this. Well, because, yeah. So I'm going to flip this because I want you to answer this. Okay. Because, um, so from what I understand, so there was a recent news article, um, that basically was talking about the University of South Carolina. This is public. So I'm not saying anything out of school. Basically, the biggest benefactor, their biggest benefactors, um, I think mother passed away recently and they had given to, it sounds like, uh, the, the daughter, um, you know, the daughter who's still alive basically ripped apart university of South Carolina for not actually addressing, acknowledging, doing anything in support of her mom, um, or, you know, acknowledging the passing of her mom and literally said she regrets like basically all history of her giving to the organization and really berated them in a huge way publicly in the media. So this wasn't just uh, I'm a little, my feelings are hurt. I mean, this, this person went deep, um, felt like a pretty intense issue. And obviously this donor had a lot of expectations about how soon donor's mom had passed about a week prior. And 
she didn't hear anything from this university, but had heard things from other institutes and colleges that they also were large benefactors to. So clearly she had an expectation of not only acknowledgement, but quick acknowledgement within basically five to six days of her mother's passing. So there was a lot of sort of, there's been a lot of scuttlebutt in the nonprofit sector about was this appropriate expectations and behavior of the donor or is this like going over the top? And I'm super curious, Andy, to hear your take on this. It feels so. I think I have two feelings. One is that grief makes people strange. It can make people do strange things. It can make people behave in unexpected ways. Um, So, so, so the first instinct is like, is, is this person, is this donor being unreasonable? Is this an unreasonable request for the donor to have expected this? And I think that's what you saw. I mean, what we've seen in some of the comments on this particular thing is like, you know, like, how dare you? Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's a very short period of time. Like, why are you so entitled? That's the feeling. So number one, grief makes, makes very, can make you make very strange decisions. Num- number two is if you're giving a lot of money to an organization, I feel like there should be someone who is dedicated to that person and keeping track. If somebody's given you $150 million, which I think is, yes, I think it was in that range. Someone's given you $150 million. Someone should be that you have enough money to pay someone to keep track of things, to, to know what that donor's requirements are, to be able to respond to that donor's needs and and if the, if that's the donor that you still want to have around, if you want to continue to maintain that relationship and it's it's worth it for the things that the donor is requesting, that then you would know, like this person or this team that's dedicated to this person would know that she's going to be mad if we don't get a, a sympathy card to her within 48 hours of her mother's passing. Like that's something that you should be aware of for a donor of that size. Um, so so putting aside like whether or not her the donor's reaction to not receiving a sympathy card within seven days was appropriate. It feels like the organization should have known that ahead of time. You know who you're dealing with. I mean, I know like even with the organizations that I've worked with, you know, things about the donors, you, you know, their behaviors, you know, the kinds of, but if you've done your job, you know, the kinds of things that they're going to want. Um, and so, so you should be able to respond appropriately to them. Like, and, and, and it may not necessarily be what you would want as as a person. So like for me, if some organization that I've given $25 to is, you know, the EDs wearing a red pantsuit sitting in the front row of the service, um, to me, I would find that distasteful. Right. But, but I'm not the donor in this case. I'm the, I'm, I'm servicing the donor in this case. So I should be aware of what that donor's preferences are and not, not confusing. And that's one of the things that I think I was taught early on is that um, you're not the target market, yeah. right? <laughs> like you say this a lot of times, you look at a direct mail pace and you're like, what is this? This is so weird. I don't understand why this is like that. And you just have to remind yourself, you're not the target market. Like you, you're going to throw this away, but this isn't going to you. This is going to a completely different donor. And so it's designed to be able to, res- that donor is going to respond to that thing. Do you do you think though, I I, I get that grief makes people do maybe out of character things, but to make a really derogatory, several derogatory public statements that are in the media that will impact this organization's future in a big way for anybody who reads it and hears about it, yeah. it that feels 
over the top to I think me. There, there are other, in this case, there are other things going on. There has you, to be. You read the article, like I read one article and we'll link to it in the, in the show notes. One of the articles you read, this person was a trustee. They weren't happy with the selection of the new president. There were a lot of other things going on. And there this has was, to be. And, and this is one of those things where when, when someone stops giving to you and they provide a reason, like sometimes the reason they give you isn't the reason that they want to stop giving to you. It exactly. is just the most recent reason that they can then use. Like, so, you know, you get a, you get somebody that leaves an angry, we got these all the time. You get somebody that leaves you an angry voicemail about how dare you send me two pieces of direct mail two months in a row, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, take me off your list. I'm never going to donate to you again, right? And it's it's not that they, the two pieces of direct mail, like, incur, well, that was the straw that broke the, it was that they never were, they maybe never wanted to donate to you in the first place. And yeah. now they've like got something that they can exactly. feel like it's, it's not them that's being a jerk for not donating. It's you for sending me two things in a row. <laughs> right. So I think that's honestly, in this it, case, I think that's it. it. Probably I think there's is. some other thing and they just happened to be, this is what made it blow well, up. Well, but still shame on, I, I, so I'm still citing a it's little. Bad donor it's donor behavior. It's, well, it's bad. Yeah. It's really bad. And I think I'm, I'm tired of bad donor behavior that we allow and accept as a sector. Yes. Like it just. Anyways, that's a whole other episode I could go on my soapbox, right? But like, it just bothers me. And so, and you know, even anyways, oh, well, I, I need to get off of that or else I'll be, we'll be here all day. But I mean, the other thing is I, I thought, what if, I mean, I agree with you that if you've got, if you've gotten a gift of that size, hopefully you are a large enough institution that you actually have the resources or staff that is assigned to keeping track of donors, looking at obituaries, doing whatever. But I guess I also want to play devil's advocate. What if they truly didn't know yet? Like, what What if? I don't put, know. Like, Put a Google alert like, on the name of the donor. Yeah. Like, if, if this is your person, you should be doing that anyway. Yeah, you like, should. But would that come out? Like, would you know that within five to six days of a donor's death that they all died? Those, all those other institutions did. Yeah, that's right? true. All the that's other people that point. sent the yeah, letters that's a good did. Point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure somebody. I mean, somebody feels really bad about this. There's, oh God, there's no, some. I, I, there's some I poor really, development person yes, who was assigned to this. Probably going to get fired. From this, I hope right? she doesn't get fired. I'm assuming or it's he. a woman. <laughs> yeah. I, I assume this person doesn't get fired. I hope this person doesn't get fired, um, because you know sometimes, yeah. Please don't get fired. Yeah, please. If you don't. got fired, if this was your person <sighs> and you got fired, call us. Yeah. We want to. We want to talk to you. Yeah. Hey, I hope you're doing the victory dance because you made it through another episode of Nonprofit Everything, a production of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. We so appreciate you and your questions, and we seem to be getting more questions, don't we, Andy? We do. It's good. Yeah, we're super excited about that. We get uh, really jazzed when we see your questions. And make sure you keep sending them in. You can you know, find us on Facebook, social media, Tag either one of us, uh, however you've, you talk to us or know us. You can also uh, go and check out our new phone line where you can call in with your question. And we'll make sure to include that in the show notes in case you just need a reminder. It's also on the Nonprofit Everything website. Um, gosh, what other housekeeping do I have? Oh, a huge thank you not only to you, our listeners, to Anne for making sure this is possible, but also to Envy Energy. We are in studio, in person, and having a blast because we finally get to actually sound like normal human beings again. So thanks for joining.